You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. everyone doing? I am here. <laughs> I'm well, thank you. Tired, but that, what else is new, right? But God is good. We're just here to, to glad we got to come here and worship him this morning to give him uh, glory, to uh, praise his name. Amen. All right. So let's pray real quick. All right. Dear Lord, we just come before you. We just thank you. We praise you, Lord God, for uh, who you are, Lord, and uh, that you brought us here, that we can come and worship you. And Lord, just come together, Lord, as a congregation and just worship and, and praise you, Lord, and, and, and read your word and, and, just, and just fellowship together, Lord God. So, Lord, we just give you today, Lord, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been reading through the book of Joshua. We've had some teachings on Joshua, um, and we're coming to the end of Joshua now, right? And Joshua is an interesting book uh, because it tells the story of the nation of Israel, right? Coming into the promised land. And, and we start off with Joshua becoming the leader of, the, of, uh, of Israel after the death of Moses. And, we, and, and then we, we see all the battles and, and uh, with the Canaanites. And, uh, but we need to see that there, this isn't a story about Israel uh, versus the Canaanites. That's not what it is. It's about God's battle and God's plan to bring justice to the land of Canaan. You know, and it's also uh, uh, the God's plan for, you know, the Israelites and, and coming into the promised land as well. You know, then after the battles, we see the promise of the inheritance of the land given to the tribes of Israel. And last week, um, if, you haven't, if you haven't heard it, um, it's, on, it's on our website. Uh, but Dave gave a, a, an excellent word last week about the inheritance, the inheritance of the, of the Israelites. And, you know, if you haven't seen it, haven't heard it, go, go listen to it. It's really good. And then we come to the end of Joshua, where Joshua gives some final speeches to the tribes, to, uh, of, to the tribes of Israel, right? And uh, Joshua gathers them at Shechem and reminds them of everything that God had done for them and calls them to be faithful to the Lord, which would lead to life and blessing, you know, in the land. But if they were unfaithful, you know, they, they will call down on themselves the same judgment that the, that the Canaanites experienced to be kicked out of the land, to be exiled, you know. And, uh, and Joshua leaves Israel with a choice. He leaves them with a choice. You know, what is Israel going to do? What are they going to do? And that's the question that we're left with at the end of Joshua. You know, life is full of choices, Right? You know, in fact, this morning, all of us here already made a number of choices, a number of choices today that will impact how our day turns out, haven't we? Right? 
You know, many of us this morning began the choice of whether or not to get out of bed when the alarm went off. You know, and then that choice led to a string of other choices. You know, am I going to take time to read my Bible and pray? Or, or am I going to, uh, going to eat breakfast? What am I going to eat for breakfast? You know, am I going to go to church today? Or am I going to stay home on Zoom? You know, am I going to, what am I going to wear? Uh, which route am I going to get, take to get to church? Um, so every day we have a string of those moment-by-moment moment choices that, 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 each, that each impact to a large degree, you know, how our day is going to, going to turn out. We also have larger life choices as well, you know, that, that have a tremendous influence on our, on our lives. Like, am I going to get married or not? And if I am, to whom? You know, am I going to have kids? You know, which job am I going to take? Um, how will I handle my finances? How am I going to allocate, allocate my time? What am I going to do with my time? What am I going to do to maintain my health? Um, and every one of those choices have a massive impact on what, you know, our lives are going to look like. So it's important to make wise choices. Amen? But this morning, we're going to take, to take a look at, uh, at a choice that's far more important than any of the kinds of choices that, you know, I've mentioned. Because it's a fundamental choice that will not only impact the kinds of choices that I've already mentioned, but will ultimately determine my destiny. You know, that's because my destiny is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. You know, so many times we look around and, at other people in their lives and the, the, who seem to have things so much better than us. You know, the grass is always greener on that side, right? You know, and they have it so much easier than we do. And, and think that the only reason, and we think that the only reason that they're in that position is, only, is a matter of chance. It's only a matter of chance. They were born with wealth. You know, they, they, they got some breaks along the way, or they knew the right people. And, uh, but when it comes to their eternal destiny, that destiny, just like all of ours, is 100% dependent on that one crucial choice, not just chance. It's all about a choice that we make. You know, the, cho the choice that we all have to make today is the same choice that the Israelites had to make at Shechem all those so many thousands of years ago. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to choose to be faithful to God and experience a destiny that is full of life and blessing? Or will we choose to be unfaithful to God and experience, you know, a destiny that's, that's of divine justice and exile? Hmm. Now, I'm pretty sure that all of us here this morning would immediately say, you know, that our choice would be to be faithful to God, right? Right? But before we do, we're too quick to, to do that, you know, let's look at Joshua. Look at his address to, to the nation of Israel when they too are quick to voice that choice without really thinking about the consequences of that choice. Right? So then when we turn to Joshua 24, we can follow along. I'm going to... <laughs> I'm going to, uh, to begin in the middle of chapter uh, 24, in verse 14, right? And it says, Joshua 24, 14, it says, um, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. 
Throw away the gods of our ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of our ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in, in whose land you're living. But, for me, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, that part of the passage is probably, you know, very familiar to a lot of us. Some of you probably have like a plaque in your house saying, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know. But as we're going to see this morning, you know, making that choice requires a lot more than just putting a plaque, you know, on your wall or putting the, the word, those words in your house. So we'll see how, how, you know, let's see how the people respond, right, to Joshua's challenge. In, in, in verse 16 to 18, it says, Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which all, in which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. The people immediately respond, we will serve the Lord. We've seen what he's done on our behalf. You know, we, 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 we're ready to serve him. But Joshua is not ready to just take their words, you know, at face value. He has, he has seen their hearts and are like, you know, and, and are, are, excuse me, he sees what their hearts are like, you know, and he wants them to consider the, the cost of that commitment. He wants to consider it. So let's look at his response. His response, in verse, starting in verse 19, he says, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. <laughs> well, he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. That's his response. He challenges them. He says we need to be really careful here not to take these two verses out of context. You know, either the context of the entire book of Joshua or, um, or, or the context of the entire Bible. You know, Joshua is just pointing out that, you know, basically what's been true since the days of Adam and Eve. He's just pointing it out. The obvious. He says, because of man's sin nature, sinful nature, because of our sinful nature, he's incapable of serving God perfectly in his own strength and power. We're incapable, right? Now, in, that, in a moment, I'm going, to further, I'm going to discuss, you know, the idea of serving gods or other gods. But for now, I want, you know, I want us to, to, to see that because God is holy and jealous, when we make the choice to serve other gods instead of serving him, 
You know, we're, we're, we're no different than the godless Canaanites that, you know, that God had driven out of the land. And we ought to expect the same treatment, you know, from God. You know, this is exactly what, what God had told the people, uh, you know, when, uh, before they entered into the promised land. You know, in his long speech in Deuteronomy uh, 28, Moses had, had laid out the blessings that would accompany his, the people's obedience and the curses that would result if they disobeyed God. He laid them all out. You know, the point that Joshua is making here is that the people shouldn't be too quick to make a commitment, you know, that they weren't ready to keep can't be too quick to make a commitment that you're, ready, you're not ready to keep because of the consequences, you know, of continued disobedience without, you know, will, will be the same uh, as the Canaanites, that, that the Canaanites had experienced. You know, God's divine justice in exile. That's what, hap- that's what will happen. And unfortunately, you know, we see, we'll see later in our journey through the Old Testament, you know, when we go, we go to Judges next, you know, that's exactly what happens or what eventually happens to Israel, you know. But even in spite of Joshua's warning, the people once again promised to serve God. So in verse 21 and, and 20 to 27, he says, um, it reads, But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen to serve the Lord. It's like, Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people people said to Joshua, "We we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant to the peop- for the people, and there at Shechem he reaffirmed for, uh, for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up uh, there under the oak near the holy place of God, of the Lord. See, it's like, see, he said to the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. You know, for the second and third time, you know, the people confirm their choices to serve God. They confirm their choice to serve God. So Joshua wrote the words on the book, in the book of the law of God and confirmed the covenant with the people by setting up a large stone, you know, under the oak tree. You know, it's possibly the same stone that Jacob had buried the idols in his household that had given, when they had given the response uh, to the words he spoke and echoed in in Joshua. They're echoed in Joshua right here. So in in verse 23, because in Genesis uh, 35 2, you know, (coughs) Jacob is talking to his household. He says, so Jacob said to his household and, and to all those who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that were among you and purify yourselves and change our garments. Now, verse 23 here in Joshua 24, it says, he said, put away your foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to God, the God of Israel. Put away your foreign gods. You know, my destiny is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. It's a matter of choice. Your destiny is a matter of choice, not a matter of chance. 
You know, on the surface, it appears that the people made the right choice, right? Three times they promised to serve God alone. They said, we're going to serve God alone. But obviously, you know, they were merely giving up lip service to, the, to, the, to that commitment, right? Because by the time we get to the next book of the Bible, you know, the book of Judges, you know, we find that the people have already violated that promise. You know, the very next book, you know, in, in Judges 2, uh, 10 through 11, we're going to get to that this week sometime, you know. But it says, after that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. So a whole generation had died. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So that means that these people did not even, like, tell their kids about what God had done for them and the commitment that they made. They didn't tell them. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Just one generation later. That's like, you know, when I die, I never told my kids about God and what God has done for us, and then they start serving somebody else. That's like after I just said, hey, I'm going to serve the Lord, me and my house. So, you know, there's so much that we could learn from this account. You know, and certainly one thing that comes to my mind is, is the importance of passing on our faith effectively from one generation to the next. We need to pass on our, our faith from one generation to the next. So, <coughs> since our time is limited, right? But, now, let's focus on how to choose to serve God alone. That's what we're going to focus on today, right now. So, number one, we need to remember what God has already done. You need to remember what he's already done. You know, for time's sake, I'm not going to read the first 13 verses of, of Joshua 24, but I really encourage you to do that later. You know, in those 13 verses, though, Joshua encourages the people to remember what God had already done, what had done for them. He says, remember what God has done for you. From the time that he had called uh, Abraham and promised to give the land, you know, uh, that they now occupy to his descendants, you know, up until, the present, up until that present time. You know, in verse 13, he, he summarizes what God had done for them by pointing out, you know, that they now had land that they had not labored for, for cities that they had not built, and a harvest that they had not planted. This is what God had done for them just in the, in the past few years that they had been, been there fighting for, for that land. You know, if we're going to take, make a choice to serve God, uh, then I think it's important that, that we constantly remember what he's already done for us. We need to continue to remember what he's already done for us. You know, obviously, the primary way to, to, to do that is through his word. We read his word. You know, there are a lot of great reasons that we're, uh, to, be, to consistently read the Bible. You know, there are a lot of great uh, reasons, you know, um, and, and I'm convinced that, you know, the, one of the most important reasons is to, to constantly uh, be reminded of all the things that God had done for his people and for us personally through, through history. He's done a lot for us. You know, corporate worship, coming together, worshiping together. It's important, you know, to remind, be reminded of what God has done already. You know, when we gather together, 
We worship together with other believers and sing and, and read God's word and, and pray together and, and give and, and uh, uh, fellowship with other believers. We remind each other of how good God has been to all of us. We tell each other stories. We're reminded of what God has done for us, you know, what he continues to do. You know, and it's, it, it could be very... Um, it can be very well, uh, very well, be very helpful to uh, to for some physical reminders as well, like things like baptism. Being baptized is a great physical way of remembering. Keeping a journal of what God has done for us is a great way to remember, you know, what God has done in our lives and what He continues to do in our lives. So that's number one: is to remember what God has done for us. Number two. Let's get off the fence, right? Get off the fence. The biggest danger here wasn't, you know, that the people wouldn't worship God. That wasn't the biggest danger. It was that they would keep the religion, keep develop a religion that 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 uh, that just mixed God in along with the other gods that you know that they that I'll talk about in a moment. That's the big. That was the biggest danger. When Joshua urged the people to choose which God they were going to serve, you know, the implication was that the, the choice was not whether or not they were going to serve God, but rather which God they were going to serve. You know, Joshua recognized that everyone serves someone or something. We all serve somebody. You know, that's what, uh, yeah, Bob Dylan said that, right? He said, had a song about that. You know, Joshua recognized that everyone was going to serve something or somebody. You know, even the atheist who claims that he, he serves no God serves the God of self. You're going to serve something. You're going to serve somebody, right? No, things have not changed at all today. I think one of the biggest dangers that for Christians and non-Christians alike in our culture today is not that they'll reject Jesus but rather they will just add Jesus into their lives along with other gods they are, that are already there. Got to be careful of that. But Joshua and Jesus teach us that straddling the fence like that just won't be good in the long run. Just won't do. It will not do. Joshua says, choose whichever God you're going to serve, but make a choice. Make a choice. You know, get off the fence. And Jesus is, is even more direct on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you know, in Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will devote, be devoted to, the, to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both, serve both God and money. And the word translated money there is, is, is literally the word mammon, which is actually the name of a, an Amorite god. You know, you know, one of the Amorite gods, that, you know, I'm going I'm to talk about that in a moment as well. If we're, if we're going to get off the fence, right, if we got to get off the fence, we need, to, we need to do that and choose who we will serve. And serving God alone requires us to take a third step. And that third step is to eliminate all other gods. You have to eliminate the other gods. 
you know, it's really easy for us to uh, ignore this principle since there's a tendency for us to think that we don't have any other gods in our lives. Right? How many has other gods in their lives? People say, no, I don't have any other gods in my life, right? I don't know anyone here who worships, I don't know anyone here who worships Allah or Buddha or anything like that. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Or who has some kind of idol, you know, any carved idols in their house that they bow down to. But the list of other gods that Joshua includes here makes it clear that God can be anything or anyone for which we have such a passion that that thing or person, it governs the way we live. It guides the way we live. You know, in this passage, you know, Joshua identifies three classes of gods other than the one true God. He says, the gods that your father served, the gods that your father served in the region beyond the river. You know, this refers to the gods that, that the people worshipped during uh, the time of Abraham's father, Terah. In Babylon, before God, you know, called Abraham uh, to across the Euphrates River, you know, and to go into the land God would, would then show them, show him. He's talking about those gods there. There were a number of gods uh, people worshipped there, but two of the most prevalent ones were, you know, Tammuz. It was Tammuz, right? And there was, and his mother, Ceramis, Cer- yeah, something like that, right? Who, who, who was revered as the queen of heaven and who was also known as uh, uh, Astarte, the goddess of fertility. So basically, it was a worship of sex. They also worshiped the Zodiac, you know, which very well be why you know, the Tower of Babel was built you know, in order to better follow the movement of the constellations. I don't know. It doesn't take much imagination to see how those same kinds of gods exist in our culture today, does it? Now, with people allowing uh, their lives to be directed by their sexual appetites and their horoscopes. You know, the gods of our father, then he talks about the gods of the, of the, that the, uh, your father served in, in Egypt. We talked about those. You know, the Egyptians were uh, pantheistic, making gods out of just about everything imaginable. Everything was a god. You know, the sun, the moon, you know, the Nile River, even, even flies. You know, and one of their chief gods was a calf. And all the plagues that God directed at against Egypt. We're, we're studying the book of Exodus now on Wednesday nights, but we talk about, we talked about all the plagues or whatever that, 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 that came upon Egypt, you know, when Moses was there, and, um, you know, all those plagues that God directed against Egypt was directed against their gods to prove that they really weren't gods at all. They weren't gods at all. Today we see similar kinds of worship where people have made gods out of things that God has created and worship the creation rather than, than the creator. Certainly the New Age movement falls you know, into this category. We don't need to hear about that anymore, you know, but it's there. You know? Then there were the gods of the, uh, he talks about the gods of the Amorites. The so Amorites had essentially a, a pragmatic approach to worship. They, would, um, they, they wanted 
abundant harvest. So they worshiped a multitude, of, a multitude of gods that engaged in practices they thought would promote fertility and growth. Their worship was also included other practices which God considers detestable, like child sacrifices in the occult. Again, it's not too hard to find, you know, the same thing in today's culture. Now, I would certainly argue that abortion in, in today's day is, is the equivalent of child sacrifice. Psychics and, and horoscopes carry on the occult. And there's no shortage of people who worship pleasure and material prosperity. You know, un unfortunately, we can make unknowingly, we can unknowingly make gods out of even good things in our lives, right? So how do I know something is, is or someone is, has become a god to me? How do we know that? I can't give you a complete, you know, answer to that question, um, you know, but a good place to start is to evaluate whether something is taking more of your attention and time and resources than, you know, than you're giving to God. For me, it, sports can be, become an idol. It's the way it is, you know, in technology and some other stuff too. But let's just talk about sports. I mean, I have so many, so many, so many issues in my life. But you know, basketball, especially the the playoffs, like right now, basketball. I watch a lot of basketball. Maybe too much basketball, <laughs> but I can get caught up with watching the games and the stats and the drama, and, and the play, and all these different things that are going on, and the, and the strategies that are going on in the game. You know, but one, one of the things I have to guard against is that I don't get consumed in that. I can't get consumed in that, you know, that so much that it becomes, um, you, know, you know, it becomes a god to me. You know, where I spend more time thinking about and going, to, and going through those things and going to the, going to the Bas NBA app and all this other stuff, then I'm spending more time in those things than I am, you know, developing my relationship with the Lord. I can't do that. If I do that, it's starting to become a God to me. Now, that may not be something that's, you know, that will become a god for you. Um, some people don't like basketball. Some people don't like sports. It could be, you know what's in your heart. You know what it can be. You know what the potential gods in our lives you know, are. And we need to take steps to guard against them taking place, you know, taking the place of the one true God. We need to do that. And the fourth, th the fourth thing is stay the course. You know, it was, <coughs> excuse me, you know, remembering what God has told, uh, said to us. Um, uh, is getting off the fence, eliminating all other gods. But now we need to stay the course. We need to stay the course. You know, you know I, I pointed out earlier that, you know, the choices that the people at Shechem that they was short-lived. It was short-lived, just one generation. Probably not even that, because the people of that generation who said, yes, we're going to serve the, God, serve the Lord, didn't even tell their kids. 
So their kids didn't know anything about the Lord. So it didn't even last. It was very short-lived, very short-lived. Now, within one generation, they completely forgot the commitment that they had made. You know, and as Apostle Paul reminds us, he reminds us the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, in 2 Timothy 4, 7, it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, God is not impressed at all by rash decisions that are made today only to be abandoned tomorrow. I think that's why Joshua was so adamant that the people count the cost before they made the commitment to serve God. And why Jesus also urges his disciples to count the cost before they made the decision to follow him. No, our destiny is not a matter of choice, a matter of chance, it's a matter of choice. It's a matter of choice. There are many things I've learned, you know, these past, I don't know, 20 something years, 25, I don't know, you know. But one thing that I've come to realize uh, is that there are a lot of believers with very few followers. A lot of believers with very few followers. That day at Shechem, you know, there are a lot of believers who said, I believe God and I'll serve him. And I'm sure there are a lot of sincere, they were, they were sincere in what they had to say. But it wasn't long until those proved to be only hollow words. And not a determined choice that would lead to the destiny that God had wanted for them. The only thing I don't want to do in, <laughs> in any way this morning is to cause any of you who've made a sincere choice to serve God, <laughs> to serve God and God alone, is to doubt, you know, that, you know, that choice or the amazing destiny that, that, that God, that goes along with it. But on the other hand, I would be irresponsible if I allowed anyone watching, you know, on, on Zoom or here at 142, to leave here today thinking, thinking that, you know, that you made a decision for Jesus when that decision didn't include remembering what God had already done for you. For, you know, didn't include getting off the fence or eliminating any other gods in your life and counting the costs, you know, so that you'll stay the course. So today, what I wanted to do is, you know, I want to give us a few minutes to pray about the things, these things, and ask God, ask God to reveal any changes that you need to make in, our, in your life as a result of what we've learned together this morning. But before you do that, before you do that, will you commit right now to follow through and obey whatever God might reveal to you in these next few moments? Can we do that? Say, amen. Let me take some little time and pray. Let's pray silently, then I'll pray.
Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for your, what you're revealing to us in our hearts, Lord God, today. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'll be with us, Lord, and we'll follow through on what you've asked us to change in our lives, what you've asked us to do, how you've asked us to be, what you've asked us to say. Lord, we cannot do this alone. Lord, we need you. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done for us. On the cross, Lord God, throughout history, Lord, in our lives, Lord, individually, Lord, and corporately as a, as a body of believers. But Lord, we just also, Lord, thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in our lives as we take steps, Lord, to follow you, as we make a choice, Lord God, to follow you and you alone. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.